Welcome, everyone. What is this? Is this seven? It's Siete? seven. It's week seven. It is. No, day, no, it's the week it's of six. our Lord. It's, six. it's definitely six. It's six. Oh, okay. Not the week it's of our six. Lord. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting ahead of ourselves. It's week six. Um, God. still a big week. It's still a big week. Uh huh. Nothing goes wrong. <laughs> a very big week. Um, even so number. big actually that we have we have a surprise for our many listeners. <laughs> a really big, a big surprise for a big week. You may uh, remember that we have guest speakers come on our muddy buddies. Well, today's Fairly. today's muddy buddy is the muddiest of the, the buddiest buddies. Of buddies. <laughs> the muddiest of the buddiest. Everybody, We're very excited. Oh, oh, she buddies. has she has requested to introduce herself. Ooh, yes. Well, you so, did. You did. So. Oh, other time. <laughs> She has requested to introduce herself, so... So, everybody welcome the muddiest buddiest. Okay, well, I think I think the reason why I want to introduce myself is because the most platform I listen to podcasts on are, like, NPR, and they always come yeah. out and like, hi. So, I am a student at Barnard. What's your name? And, 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 What's and your name? Like, no, I'm not. Thing where, oh, like, the no, you're not. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's literally a statement. Only but. Um, Allison Siegel, class of 2022, graduating in December. Like the bird, but not spelled like it. <laughs> like the bird, yep. Not spelled like it. Very important, I guess, if you're going to, like, look me up for some reason. Mm. Um, anyway. Check, check her credentials. What am I doing? Okay, what am I Who are you? Pick up her LinkedIn. Forgot. So, okay, yes. <laughs> I, now I'm a New York City resident, I suppose. We'll see how long that lasts for or not. But right now, that's what I'm doing. I'm living out here. I am originally from Denver, Colorado. Yay. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> my pronouns, my life, hobbies, is, uh, the Rocky Mountains. Oh, she, her, hers. I mm, do art. Beautiful. I'm generally just a chaotic mess. Yeah. People, people tell me it's because I do art and perhaps as an artist. That is the but best. Does but correlation equal causation? That's, what I'm That's the question. So. Every time. Every single time. Every single time. <laughs> Tell me, tell me about your very your field of study and your and, and your many field fields of study because yeah. you you may have multiple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a liberal arts college. So you can it, do anything. It sounds like it is multiple fields, and it's true, but it's actually a really specific scope. So what I want to do is learn about like materials, like the engineering or manipulation of materials, and right now it's like specifically the conservation of them. In mm. art, I hope. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I am an art history major, a special combined major, I hope. I'm petitioning, so there's no fancy mm. word for it. I'm in the process, hopefully becoming a special combined major in of art history and chemistry with concentrations in sustainability and visual arts, which is crazy. But, but which is like a concoction, a nice little- Which is a concoction that she has come up with on her own. I just, I need a little bit of physics. I need a lot of chemistry and some tad of bio. Like, I, I don't know. I have some weird dreams. And part of mm. it's inspired by someone who will talk to one of the two Marys that I hope we'll get to later. Ooh. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, okay. one of the Marys. So many Marys. No, Marys. <laughs> Marys. Marys. Turns out everyone in the design world is named Nary. Nary. Um, so you have to be a designer. Really, so, yeah. 
So anyway. what do you what do you hope to do with this like crazy? I don't know. Well, not not crazy because it's actually it makes actually a lot of you sense. need to know exactly what your pop is okay. going to be right now. No, no, no. Because I exactly Abby's joke is like the pressure I felt my whole life <laughs> and the pressure that we all are feeling. We all feel it. <laughs> just limited to me. No, of course, of course. Of Denver, Colorado. Like this is just a of Denver, Colorado, who loves the Rockies and her last name is a bird, but not not a real bird. Okay. <laughs> She's deeply connected to nature in many ways. That's that's the consensus here. (laughs) Yes, I I love the commentary. I just then I lose my train of thought. Oh, very sorry, very sorry. No worries. (laughs) Oh yes, finding my path in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really always felt like it had to be, which is so weird because no part of me is linear. Um, Mm. Just like the way I do things, the way I go about things, like it's. Like forcing myself into a box of like linear anything, like thinking and behavior <laughs> is is like just challenging to my person. So I'm like meeting myself where I am. And one of my things too is like taking a step back at like the classes I had taken because I went in pre-med and I'm still, yeah. who knows, like I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow like or tonight. Yeah, exactly. Like what's what's for breakfast? <laughs> like what's, what's I don't know. Planning? What are you about to do with the rest of your life? Yeah, but I think, I think I'm taking a step back from that. Uh, but then I had like this really specific science base and I accidentally fell in love with like chemistry specifically. I just really like looking at things and like that, like. <laughs> I feel like chemistry, like. When you get an angst like I love the interactions that happen there. <laughs> chemistry just like kind of allows you to like. It take a Kind of understand how the world works. Like you kind yeah, of. Exactly. Like, exactly. Oh, I think it's, it's really <laughs> physics too, because physics describes like motion and there's mm-hmm. so many like vibrations and motions and. Right, we were talking about like geometries, specific yeah. geometries that affect like the, the particle and like atomic level. And it's just fascinating and super yeah. nerdy and terrifying, like not always the best and most fun thing to want to study. But like, yeah, no, as someone who is currently in physics and in chemistries and in biologies, I can say that I could really do without the physics, yeah. but. <laughs> physics is so important. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanna, that was my um, only point. That was it. <laughs> yeah, I just I'm returning from a semester off too, and I've had mm-hmm. all of like I'm I'm returning to classes. Allison's making her appearance back. January, yeah, she is. January 11th, I'll be there, I suppose. But in this semester off, like it really, I really had time to like accept my non-linear academic path. So I I don't mm-hmm. know what I'm gonna end up doing, but I'm just gonna keep trying to you know like inch by like day by day. inch by inch row by row got to make my like, garden towards, like, grow towards like what I want to do like I'll just I'll follow what I like and I think the profession's gonna come later and especially yeah. in the STEM world everything is changing all the time and like what we're gonna every talk single about day yeah it's like already outdated within the world where like exactly. what we're studying right we're, now even like, we're gonna, gonna talk about something and tomorrow they're gonna come out with something else so I'm trying to build yeah. like a foundation to do something weird and wacky in that world also, inter- like being interdisciplinary is like the best way to make yourself like. I think it's I don't know. If we're, human. If we're speaking like strictly on like a hireable level, like you are hireable if you have interdisciplinary. That's true. Like, that's true. And well, that's also that's terrifying. Like it's a gem, and it's like a really yeah. important thing in both worlds, right? Like yeah. then people are like humanities, yes, please, and vice versa. <laughs> but in terms of like what you study or like what it studies i don't think they're as far removed as what people believe well that's they're not we were trust me about this earlier too. well yeah as someone who studies yeah, you know yeah, yeah. very similar fields as allison mm-hmm. you know allison was talking a few days ago about how all of these things like they're seen so they're seen as polar opposites 
because of it's this arbitrary a, like categorization I mean, that people like, have put like them in. Like cats yeah. and dogs are opposite. It's such like a binary perspective. Like, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a it's, it's a binary perspective that doesn't exist. Like art and science have more in common than people think. I guess exactly in, I mean, in like, the way that you conceptualize yeah. them, and especially when you come at it from like a design perspective. Like I think a lot of mm-hmm. what I take to is like the art history background lets you look at things and what they make someone feel. I guess and like next step is like architecture, which is sort of in the field, and it's like influencing people's like behaviors or actions or helping mm-hmm. out in a certain way, but. The minute you, there's like the input and the output and like art history is like the output of design and of art. And the input is like the doing of art, like being the visual artist or like Mm -hmm. being the scientist in the lab and, you know, trying to create a new material or engineer something. Um, So I think a lot of, like having an art background is really fun and interesting when it comes to design. And it, it, like, it's, it holds hands with, with the science stuff too. Yeah, it's all like, it's all like married together because if you, I don't know, I feel like, I mean, especially with like ar- architecture, I think like that's just the thing that comes to mind where it's like the most, to me, architecture and like that kind of art seems the most, um, it's like the most obvious link between like engineering, yeah, science, well, math, physics, art. See, like I disagree. I think that like, I think of, you know, organic chemistry, you know, it's a very, you know, scientific very like there's one answer type of field except it's so not like you need to be crazy creative to come up with these synthesis yeah and i think that there's a lot of creativity that's practiced in the art world that isn't emphasized in the science world in the same way and that's very true that same level of like emphasis on creativity was Mm. if, if the if the emphasis on creativity was expressed throughout the fields yeah i, I mean, think something it would be to my detriment i think that i keep learning is like about the stratification of like the scientific world and of any world really like you have to know their vernacular and like the certain vocabulary yeah. and like what their yeah. statistical things are measuring to even begin to understand like biology is different from chemistry different from physics different from like even art history studies from environmental everything is so it's nuts and bizarre and yeah. it makes you think that all these ideas are so inaccessible when really like if you were to break it down and be like chemistry is about dancing like it's about the motion of particles and like the movement yeah. of that like within a bigger system because like it's a, it, it is very esoteric it's very barnard it's very strange and like unhinged i guess ungrounded but really like i i think that these are really helpful terms to conceptualize this super abstract shit that i've like decided to want to study because like it does it does have and to like abby's point like i'm not saying that what i was saying is that to me the almost the most obvious form of art that seems connected to science is like architecture for me but organic chemistry what i'm saying with that like what you were saying abby your point about creativity is it's so true like to come up with experiments and hypotheses like you have to have a creative mindset and I yeah. think that because and even not to even to understand it. other people's yeah and yeah. that's so valued exactly. I feel like in the every STEM world I mean it's starting to become valued but I have definitely yeah. noticed that like since I was inspired by the Allison and by STEM. Charlotte um <laughs> to pick up a more visual art practice during quarantine mm. um because you know I've been so good friends <laughs> hashtag Barnard um <laughs> and I and I honestly have noticed that like when you are using your brain to like when you're when you're 
exercising your brain to be creative, organic chemistry becomes a lot easier because now I can visual, I can like almost like put particles together in a way that I, I, I didn't quite understand. See, like I, I do truly believe that that's yeah. a, that's a bit of a, obviously it's like, I can't be like, I started drawing and all of a sudden I understood all of organic chemistry. Cause that's obviously not true, but I am saying that I yeah. think about it differently. For sure. No, of course. Yeah. If you're, you're, you're accessing something that you usually access with one, like in a certain way, like certain brain channel, but then you're accessing it a different way by combining it with something that like you're with a different perspective. You're like seeing it. I don't know. You're literally seeing it from a different perspective. My brain really like frustrates me um, because it tends to think with crazier, more like visceral direction movement kind of ways, <laughs> which is like, it sounds insane. And it's yeah. a really weird thing, but like, that's been my experience with like what little slash dyslexia slash there exists, but it's like weird. It's just Allison. Allison's brain. Yeah. But like really, we all love. <laughs> way. sometimes it's really hard in chemistry, especially, you know, when you have to follow these like eight step rules of math to get to the final yeah. answer yeah. versus like when you get to organic chemistry, right? And it's, it's about like what's attracted to what and like how it moves and how that connects and like how bonds disappear and reappear and bonds are just like different energies. And it's, it's really cool too, to be able to reach a point where like things that were like a deficit in my life are, are strength, which is really like fun yeah. and cool, but, um, and, and just like a good perspective that I never thought would be actually helpful. Like I just, like <laughs> it's frustrating, right? When you have to fit yourself in these constraints and you're like, fuck. And you're like, I don't, I don't belong in this one discipline. Like, I don't know. I belong in like multiple things. Like there's, I have, it's not that I have like more interest because I, I honestly feel the same way. And that's why I decided to like minor in English as well mm -hmm. as major in environmental science. But like, it's very much like, oh, I, love I was like, I do not feel like this fits all of my interests. And like, I have more to express. Um, and that's why yeah. we all go to Barnard. Oh, wait, so should, should, we go to should we talk about more related things? like? Trash. Trash. Like, so, trash. Sorry. 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 What so, so happy December, everyone. You know what I December, is, December. Is, is a month where advent oh, calendars become a thing. I just learned about what these things are. I we have too. one. We never had an advent. Oh, okay. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so we're June. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have one. We is, we is me and my roommate who grew up with an advent calendar. It's wonderful, it's but it does remind you it is December because you wake mm -hmm. up every single morning and there's candy waiting for you. And it reminds you that it's Christmas slash Hanukkah slash holiday season. Yeah, and it reminds you that advent calendars consumer society are not religious. They are okay. just a symbol. of consumer of the machine but you're still a piece of it i'm a piece in many machines so and then this time of the year is like one of the most wasteful times of the entire year um, because people are buying stuff a lot of people is and what do you do with all, all these packages personally one of something that causes me so much stress and grief and takes up so much of my thinking stick for the most part things that keep you like, no it's almost all
Nation. I'm very fatigued personally. Yeah, I know. It hasn't we been years since we entered this, and even though it feels like decades, yeah, it does. Yeah. The is already still full of so many like disposable. It's I know, and like I knew this was going to be a problem since the beginning of like uh, since I heard of disposable masks or when disposable. Ooh, how masks could you not? And like gloves too. Yeah. Yeah, it's just. I mean, it's everything. I think it's weird. You can't, to, like, yeah. But, but like, what do you? What, but, Sorry, Charlotte. We're talking over here. No, it's so <laughs> fine. I'm just. I'm just frustrated and like speaking words not phrases <laughs> or sentences basically moral of the story consumer season holiday season just please be conscious and understand that like you buying like, something does matter like it does and there are ways there are ways to there are ways to like help this problem and like Wait, not. You're not saying don't buy gifts for yourself. Yeah, exactly. like, buy gifts. Buy people. gifts for yourself. Other don't people. buy it for your family or your friends. Just yeah. it's all about sustainability. Okay, sorry. Back to like the word for yeah. sustainability. It's something I've been learning more and more. It's, it's about yeah. like local economies, like boosting yes. the local, local people. Local, local. You know, like That's you, you know where it came from. You know who made it. You, mm-hmm. you know, like the process. And sometimes it's like a bit more expensive. But yeah. you know what? It might it's it's worth it's, a, it. like, it's it's worth look, it. Look at like it's the people often worth it. You want to buy gifts in, right? So like yeah. I want to buy gifts for people in Denver. So like look at artists in Denver and then talk to them and then have them ship it to that. Like you don't yeah. have to just look where you are, even though you should. Like I live in New York and I want to look yeah. at the people who sell things here too. Alternatively. But also don't overwhelm the mail system again. It's very precious to us. Remember exactly. how precious. And also like if something's too expensive, there are there are like consignment stores, thrift stores, all those things that will discounts, obviously. One of my favorite also, form of gift <laughs> is making stuff. I exactly. Love it, stuff. it means so I would so much rather get a gift from someone that I love that is like you know, Maybe, produced yeah. by their own hands. They put their own effort yeah. into it instead of just their own money. Especially like I'm a college student, right? Like I don't go like, I don't make a ton of money, you know, I don't spend a ton of money, but I can spend my time for the people that I love. Yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. Like and there are lots of, there are so many ways to, like, make things, you know, like, most people have, like, art supplies just lying around their house. You don't, you might not even know it. Um, if I also you don't, just got into woodworking and it's not, parts of it are hard and parts of it are not hard and none of it's hard. Yeah, yeah. also, you're, like, It's amazing. It it's really, like, you just have to do it. You just have to get out there and do it. And it's an equipment thing. Thank God for Barnard Design Center. Yeah. Oh, we love design. the Barnard Design Center. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We love them. I know. Sewing, we're so spoiled. Here. We're it's very spoiled. It's so, it's incredible. And, like, why not use it? Like, this freshman seminar. Exactly. Like, things and stuff. It's called Things and Stuff. And it was just entirely based about consumer culture and just being upset about environmental impact and talking mm. about efforts in like sustainability or efforts in the environment and how the professor was like, oh, this is working a little, but it's also horrible and we're still all gonna die. And I was like, great, yeah. thank you. Um, there was no- That's all of the environmental science. Happy, happy. Yeah, yeah, I was, just about to, I was talking <laughs> about- There's no happy, there's no part where you feel happy or satisfied. It's just upsetting shit. No, most but of it, yeah. Is we had to make quote, un- make and unmake a garment, and we were graded on this, or make it, we, we would bring clothing we didn't want. We had to, this was like maybe three, two, three days in the design center for a seminar. Oh, cool. And we had to unmake 
something and remake it. So I had like overalls that were really janky and didn't really fit. So I like cut it open and like learned how seams work and how to use a sewing machine. More specifically, how to break a sewing machine. Mm. <laughs> oh my God. I've actually broken like you know, a sewing machine. Freshman year. It's red is so delicate. No, no, no. Just blame it on freshman year. <laughs> yeah, never mind. Freshman year, <laughs> I'm yeah. claiming mine on freshman year because I literally broke a sewing machine like last month. So. Ah. Uh. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> freshman year was the last time I touched the sewing machine, and it's also the last time I broke one. So really yes. beautiful. I you know what? Allison. First and last. <laughs> I actually met Allison Siegel um, during my freshman seminar art project, where I straight up had this idea that I got from Charlotte. Charlotte was like, "Oh, you need an idea for like a sustainable like piece of art," and she was like <laughs> drinking an herba mate, and she was like, "Brilliant! I got it." So I made a I made a flower bouquet out of cans but then I had to I made all these flowers and I didn't know how to put them together so I walk into the lounge on the you know floor that I lived on and I see Allison and our friend Sophie and I just say like out of nowhere like I had I had no intention of them saying anything other than like what who are you and I just kind of said hey you guys don't happen to be like art people do you like I just came out and said that and they both looked at each other and they were like oh go get my glue gun oh my random wood panel for my room like oh, and and here we are th- yeah. two years later <laughs> i always think worth working with my hands so i actually recently got to go back to the design center and like continue my weirdness of like wanting yeah. to build and make my own shit that works because that's why i had yeah. that one freshman year i was like i'm gonna build little storage little this little that um so I hammered it in my room, like a normal sane human. Like a great neighbor. Her woman and her BFFs. I lived in Souls. Sorry, man. Amazing. Souls 8. Just the whole 8th floor of the quad, actually. So funny, but it was some ridiculous shit. Shout out to Um, Excuse me. Yum. Basically... I don't know. Like, you don't just have to be a weirdo like me to want to make things that are helpful like i i really but if you want to be a weirdo, weirdo we also support I that know, but i love the weirdness i think that's beautiful i i don't mean it as a bad thing like i am weird it's lovely <laughs> it is quite but lovely i don't know if you guys know amy poehler and nick hopperman but they have a a do, in fact. called make it it's it's like the stupidest name ever it's like so punny and bad but brilliant and amazing and just like lovely feel-good tv it's not as witty mm-hmm. as like great british bake-off but it's similar type shit oh that, that, way, that makes me so happy i love um, great british bake-off and they <laughs> have like constraints they have to like craft things of various levels but they use a lot of what they do is like um they recycle materials or they use things they have lying around the house to make something that has like a utility that has like a Ooh. a use i love um, that i like, I like range that a lot. to it like, you'd be shocked. Like, I'm someone who likes wood, okay? Like, I am not a super delicate person. Like, I like to, like, saw and, like, fuck things up. And, like, wood is very forgiving and unforgiving, too. Yes, but if you, like, like, I have. Like, there's just a million different, like, DIY stuff you could do at home. And it, all it takes is, like, some sort of initiative and, like, research and, like, asking people who also like to build, like, random shit. Yeah. And home. trial and error. Like, literally just jumping into it and being like, okay, what yeah. happens if I do... If I hit it like this, or what happens if I like do this little chisel yeah, thing? Like, like, just what don't happens? be bound by the constraints either of like the tutorials and the DIY. Yeah, stuff. and you don't have to create something that like you don't have and to create. If you something. mess up, don't throw it away. Also, if it That's works, trash if again. it works remotely like it's supposed to work, just like a little bit, yeah. great, amazing. You did well, A plus. Yeah, <laughs> ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. It doesn't have to look like anything 
I don't know, it doesn't have to look like anything. It can just be like weird shapes or like angles. Like the first time I used a chisel on wood, I made this like weird, like, I don't know. It was like this weird shape thing that, I mean, mm-hmm. my boyfriend's dog actually ended up chewing it. So it's just like, love <laughs> but it was like this weird shape thing that I was just like, I'm just going to experiment with like what I can do. So I don't know. It, it, it can be fun and it can be a little what experiment. Kind of that? And, and that's, I think it goes against like what we're told, which is like, you know, the more you buy, the happier you'll be, which, you know, contributes to fossil or just everything. <laughs> just everything. <laughs> and, and, yeah. Yeah. Well, just as a huge, big word, we'll use pollution. Yeah. There you go. Greenhouse gases. Particularly in this country, too. Like, yeah. It, and I know that, like, just you, it, this is, this is international, this is globalized, like, but America does have this huge consumer culture. I, I mean, it's 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 yeah, like it's and capitalism that hold hands together, and they hold yeah, hands in a harmony that's great for them and not great for anything it else. Keeps, it keeps a really specific type of person in power, and that mm-hmm. that changes throughout you know American history. But the stratification has always been there, a hundred percent, and it yeah. moves these values and these sort of like mass manipulations of ideas through like different religious values. Unfortunately, you know, like I was raised religiously. I le- religion can be so powerful and beautiful and incredible. It can be. It can. But, but it can be really corrupt. Like someone with that much power obviously has like a really real dark side. And that can mm. be a lot of America's like relationship to this like consumer culture and to capitalism and how how much that's embedded into like the American ideals. Really, like, yeah. Protestantism. I don't know if you want to speak to this or capitalism. Because I'm, like, getting to, like, that marriage, right? Well, yeah, like, Protestantism uh, Protestantism (laughs) and capitalism are actually very strongly interlinked, um, as I researched last week. (laughs) And, like, it is very connected because of, like, the Protestant ideals of, like, um, like, of working. working. Yeah, Yeah. and, like, throwing, like, like, capital for someone else and yourself. And again, get like into into heaven right which is the point and of creating life. like a productive lifestyle like that's the whole point like a big part of protestantism is like doing something productive with your time and like using and it's all your so time funny and because and we were talking about art history too right like yeah productive productivism was this yeah. you know it's this art movement that came across in the soviet union that's like Wait, there was actually an art movement called that called productivism and it's oh very but here's here's the funny thing is we're talking about like how Protestant Protestantism and or before that even before that Mm yeah this idea of like we've reached the zero degree like we've made all the paintings we're gonna make like there was this one Mm. triptych that 
this Russian guy made, and he was like, I made all the paintings. I've, I've broken all visual painting down to like its basic elements. I've done it. We're moving on now, and we're making things that are productive. Yeah. And only things that are, because what, like, art, art, like, I don't want to just look at it, I, because that's, like, so bourge, bourgeois. I want yeah, it's so, it's so, like, um, and, yeah. and then Picasso, who, you know, everyone knows who Picasso is, after World War II, is, like, I hate power, like, he becomes, like, almost communist, not fully communist, but very, very leftist, very yeah, leftist, well, and, he starts, and he starts like making that. ceramics, he starts making Ooh. things that people can use. Okay, but it's super interesting, but I also think it's really important to discuss the context of that, especially within Picasso's world, because Picasso was at the end of the day like a Spaniard, like through and through. He fucking loved his country. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, in that no, time. I, I, I agree too. Nationalism is real. Was huge. But yeah, but all of this too. All of like you're you're talking about. Okay, sorry, sorry. So I I think that's B. And it's a, like a capital B, but I think A of this equation too is um, is fascism and the rise against fascism. And then communism yeah. was kind of almost created out of the fear of fascism. It, it was it Picasso, was a dichotomy for especially sure. Especially because of, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a dichotomy. I don't know if you guys were talking about this before. Right? No, 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 you're good. You're no, good. no, no, no. This is, yeah. Right, this is but I think the interplay between the two is fascinating, especially with just how it left the global economy. Yes. Um, well, I also yes. think it's kind of like what what Amer like America is like. You are either Democrat or you are Republican, right, and I think that that categories. and I think that back in the you know twentieth century, it was kind of like you are either fascist or you are communist in a in a different way than it is now in America. But it's this like you can't split it's politics into it's two. It's you can't or communist. Yeah. Then fascism too. I feel like was even a different distinction, especially like as Hitler rose to power in Europe. Or yeah. Mussolini Hitler, a little bit. Mussolini too. All these like fascist dictators. Mm. And I'm forgetting. It's <laughs> embarrassing. Um, Edit this part Stalin. Out. Those guys. No, no. Um, Stalin. Well. No, no. Yeah. But, like, yeah, fully Stalin. Yeah, but um, Stalin was communist, not not um. Yeah, but fascist. there were all these like competing ideologies yeah. for dominant. He was like, essentially government. a fascist. I'll like put it uh, kind of maybe. Um, next? No, I'm talking to the Spanish guy. What's his name again? Oh, oh, oh. Um, Fer Ferdinand? Was it Ferdinand? I always want to say Ferdinand, but I don't think it's right. But he, he was a fascist who, whatever. Mm. The Spanish Beautiful. fascist? Yes. We're looking it up. Hold on. Um, uh, Wait, keep talking. Keep talking. Keep talking. Francisco oh. Franco. Is that him? Oh, Franco. Oh. Franco. Fuck Franco. Yeah, so oh, this really fascinating piece. It's called Guernica. Okay. And we don't, we're not going to talk about Guernica. We could I, it would literally go, go on for hours. For, yes. Exactly. Yeah. We're not going to start that. But all I'm going to say is it had a lot to do with this inner conflict that Picasso specifically had and this inner grief and this inner mourning and this it's tragedy he was feeling. But that was also a tragedy whoa, 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 of an event. I know, I know. But, but, but you have to look it into a context of his career, too. Okay, he always always someone who commented on mass production, on newspapers, on the way information was being disseminated, and how that influenced public opinion and perception. Like that's what he played with. He played with what's the line between the art you're seeing, the art I'm making, and how it's presented. 
and the fluidity in that, the fluidity in the perception of the viewer. And yet he would choose really specific like newspaper clippings that could also be arbitrary that were just like a background for a table that were about Franco's like inhumanity and his, his abuse and his well, mass killing of, of citizens and corruption and or, or other commentary in like fascist governments. Okay, but what? But it's fascinating. And Guernica, really quickly, and then you can totally go. He said it can tour anywhere in the world, any like biannual, any like fancy fucking it's art beautiful. market thing. It can do anything, but it it can't go to Spain ever until, until Franco dies. dies. Yes, and that's what he said when he made it. Hmm. And Picasso passed, <laughs> Picasso died before Franco died, and hmm. they kept doing it. They they made sure to like stick to his word. It's Not now saying, in Spain. It's now in Spain. It's now in Spain. It's now in Barcelona. I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think I think it is. I well, think I it, think the other thing about Guernica, really quickly, is that a this whole mon like this whole mu- mural. It's a mural. It's a massive painting. It's a mural, and it um it it was emotions. Well, it was painted during this mm-hmm. period of mural art, like the Mexican muralists and the American muralists were like beginning their big like. And for those who don't know, those movements were defined by communism, more or less. Very, very defined by communism. Like, well, I don't know if the, keep going on. Gordon. Anyway, <laughs> I have a set drink. Um, and. Well, it's interesting that, you know, Picasso was so well-known in this sense because he was in Paris during World War II, right? He was not, he wasn't in Spain. He, like, he is still a Spaniard. Family. His, his dad was this academic painter. But he wasn't, he wasn't killed by the Nazis. The Nazis hated him, right? He was very anti-Nazi. He, he was the a Nazis, passive he, experiencer? Of no, they didn't want to make him a martyr. If they put him in prison, no, all of his art, Guernica would have become so much more important if they had imprisoned him. Yeah, but I don't, I don't mean that. I just mean like he was somebody who wanted to interact with the world and how he perceive it from like day one. He came out of the womb being like, my dad's an art teacher. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing that. that shit. Yeah. I'm emphasizing yeah, that. I'm saying he, he became so good. But then he got to live through these global experiences. Well, and got this, to. Like, societal standing and have this privilege of being able to be like, he had his first show. He put his first. I don't think at, like, got well. to is the right word. Though. I do. It, it's a really competitive world. And especially then, like he was one of the first people to break barriers. And True. I, but but also, did you, do you see what his okay. paintings look like during World War II? He was miserable. Of course. I think this argument is. The visceral abstraction of emotion and like a new way that broke barriers. But he got to be listened to. He got to, mm. he got to struggle with these greater concepts right, of consumption and consumerism. And themes that, and then yeah, it can, and like sustainability and like our society today because of what he got to experience. Like it's everything that aligned in the same way, like the coronavirus. Yeah. And I agree with happened. that. I just don't think that it's we can novel. say he got to live through World War One. He didn't get to. It's not a gift. That's what. That's the only it's thing curse, I was saying. But but that's how history works, right? Is like reaction, action, and reaction, and like macro and micro ways. And his work, I don't think, would have been the same at all if he hadn't gone through that. I, God forbid anyone had to experience in that hardship and that suffering and that grief. But fuck, like, if you can translate into art and be a deep thinker like him, like, Jesus, like, amazing, incredible. Um, like, if you're going to have to live through that stuff, like, you might as well walk away with it, with this better, like, inquisition into, like, humanity and being able, you know? And that's all I mean. I'm not saying global tragedy is a positive thing. I think it's oh, I totally get that. And we're living through a global tragedy right now, and it's hard. Yeah, it's really fucking hard. It makes you you think. And I think if you can walk away from it meaningfully, it it has a purpose. Like, it shouldn't happen, but it has a... 
I don't know, at least I think that's an important way to conceptualize it for resilience in general. And just yeah. really quickly before we move on from control. post-war European art, Mm-hmm. I think that it is important to just drop in the fact that Dadaism was a very, you know, conscious movement. Yeah, explain Dadaism. Dadaism. Actually, yeah, let's get into exactly. Dadaism and found objects. Let's actually, let's, that's okay. great. This is a great so, yeah. Tell we me about this. Tell me how it relates to sustainability. Tell okay, me all so about basically, it. You, you start with Dadaism. Go. <laughs> so basically... People in Europe were like, what the fuck is happening? Like, this is ridiculous. We're just killing Their each other. This is were barbaric. Just this is brutal. This is um, 20th century Europe before World War, after World War One, and after World War Two. both and of And like the U.S. and all of that. Like, the entire mm-hmm. world. But specifically after World War One, Specifically yeah, after yeah. World War One in Europe. Yeah. Like, all over Europe. Different cities in Europe. Berlin, Paris, uh, Zurich, a whole bunch of places. They basically said, what is humanity? Why Why do we have the, like, how on earth do we have the ability to do something like this? This is ridiculous. Mm. And so my, you know, art professor for the first time ever said, um, to, the first, the first, when he first um, explained Dadaism to the class, he basically yeah. just said, Dadaism is the art of the weird. It's the mm. art of the nonsense. It doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to make sense. Don't make sense of it. It's if other people trying to, this, to make sense it, of a yeah. world that they can't make sense of. It's all of. about challenging norms. It's all about punching the old white man who gets to tell you what art's about in the face while also being an old white man. Or almost. It's taking scissors and literally cutting man. things apart because they didn't know. Like, that's, you know, it's weird. It's, it's not. A, it's a disordered movement that's so chaotic, right? It's so chaotic, but it's, it's like meant to literally reflect the what the, the artists were feeling. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> So, so it's like, I don't it's like, like this guy took a toilet and said it's going to be art because fuck whoever's in charge. I don't like who's in charge. Who's in charge started this war. I'm going to bring a toilet out. Just for, like, just for shits and giggles. And also, also well, not for shits and giggles. So, he was making a big point. But. I'm going to make a very big statement. Yeah, yeah. And why, why this also makes a really big statement, which which can be lost because Dadaism is so like fucking just crazy and mm. nutso, is, is the concept he's pushing forward of the found objects, right? Like what... Mm. Art, art can be trash you find in the street and bring in and write your name on. It was a fake name in New York, but he still did that. <laughs> and and then it's, it's like a urinal. It's a urinal. Yeah, with it's a na- urinal. Who's also making a point of like, gallery. you are seeing this as art because you know I made it. You know I made it and I'm a famous artist. So you think it's art. It's not art. It's a urinal, but you're seeing the two things as the same. And it's another commentary it's on like, what is this world that we're living in? What yeah, What is it? Like the presentation of objects in certain spaces. Uh, and the identity of those objects within that space. Yeah, uh, and like subverting that identity in a way. So much out in this. Okay, okay. So I, I think Dadaism is, is a challenge to the consumer market. Mm. And what I mean by that is at least like the mass production of objects. But I don't think that was the, I mean, maybe some artists, it was so global and such a collective movement had this goal in mind. But mm. It basically artists started doing things like my Marcel Duchamp, where they would mm. find quote found objects. That's literally what it's called. Like you'll find it in the textbooks. They call it found, found objects. objects. And that that just means objects that the artist didn't make by his or her or their own hand. Yeah. Right. Objects you find on the street. But that was a challenge to what we call art because there was this whole movement and we can talk about it. It's really big and it our world is still struggling with it today where we have like 
kitsch art and then it's like the division between high art and low art and what's supposed to be understandable and what's not. It's weird and Dadaism was also kind of a challenge and birthed that too, long story. <laughs> We're not gonna get into Mr. it. Mr. Clement, my, but, my but dude. I, I think the big takeaways for this conversation is it's it's really interesting. So we have this this global movement that is asserted through national identity or identities each city held. Like it was weirdly individual. Like each each yeah. branch of Dadaism has its own brand, which we're not going to talk about. But generally, the themes were hours. challenges to like the precedent and the status quo, mm. um, and, and an emphasis on what the fuck are like what did what is this world? I don't get it. Yeah, and what art art could be, and what trash could or couldn't be, yeah. or like, what what makes it trash and what makes it art? What's the yeah, difference? Because a lot, because of, I, a lot of what we throw is factory produced, right? Like it's it's by people you don't know. It's that whole anonymous anonymous hands make it in a, in a factory that you know yeah exactly there's and no it's connection like what we were talking about the in, the fashion industry, in the fashion episode too about yeah, how exactly. you know there to make a shirt there's a lot of work that goes into it there's a lot of well yeah sourcing materials production and like exactly and production and and a lot of it like just goes to trash and a lot of it just goes to trash and yeah. we have absolutely and, and like it almost like makes it less the item less important when we have no connection to like the it's creator you know and it's our perception yeah like, right who owns it like ownership and utility and then like once we think that is met we, we get to throw it out and pretend it doesn't exist exactly so, and it's it's out of sight yeah. out of mind like literally like once <laughs> literally, it's thrown yeah. out there's like there's there's no there's no need to care about it but i feel like um and it's the idea of like found objects and using trash as art is almost like it's almost on purposeful like on purpose to make the audience uncomfortable because we're forced to look at our trash and be like this belonged to someone yeah. and this it's had more, a life more like a meta reconciliation yeah. like our own intake and use and throwing out of like our own consumption yeah yeah and, and i think that relationship to art specifically that is made out of like found objects or trash mm. or at least like that that self-reflective conversation only started happening more recently yeah so, exactly like yeah uh, Mary Ward right who is a our first Mary <laughs> yeah our first Mary N-E-R-I I don't know why I think it's very important our first Mary is an artist out who is based in Harlem and has lived there for many 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 years like decades but is yeah. Jamaica. Uh, and a lot of a lot of his art is like very much talking about um like immigration and privilege and you know, black history in America, like these these very big topics and mm. in general in identity and, and spaces like within a certain identity, like, or identities within a certain space. Cause I, I mean, specifically like Harlem, right? And we, yeah. we talk a lot, especially being, you know, Columbia students more or less about Manhattanville and gentrification. And, oh yeah. And, and how we have zero connection to our surrounding communities. I mean, like personally, yeah. I feel like there's such a, there's such a, there's such a disconnect. I was literally, my freshman year, I was taken on a field trip to Harlem as a, you know, majority white class of, like, it's almost like, you know, really, really, really privileged people who get to have an education like Barnard or Columbia. And we were taken to Harlem and she was like, look around, like, stories are written about this place. And we're like, this is people's home. I know, it's almost like fetishizing it. It's almost like we all, we we, we, we complain. We complain so hard. Nary Ward is very much like true to the roots and to the people that live in Harlem, which is beautiful. And what he does is takes, he goes out on like trash hunts basically and he he finds 
and I say trash, and, and I think that's just um, an evolution of the word, what we were just calling found objects. Because found yeah. objects is like pretentious and weird, and it, it was pretentious and weird. Well, and trash now, doesn't need to have an inherently negative connotation. Yeah, but it's, if it's you're like using it, uh, things, things that were discarded and things that you put in like a landfill is trash. Yeah. But then Mary Ward purposely infuses them with new life with the installation yeah. he creates. And it's much more, it's, yes, it's about like actively, you know, using objects that are overconsumed or at least thrown out too much or haven't had a chance, basically just going to go to waste and understanding that they've had a past. Like there's other owners of it, like real people, like one of, one of his installations, um, I forget what it's called, but it's basically this huge room with a wooden walkway that kind of splits almost like an eye, like an oval. Mm. And in the middle of it and in the surrounding parts is are these like dusty, abandoned, creepy looking old strollers. Yeah. Yep. I've seen pictures um, of that. It's so eerie. It's and really like, eerie. <laughs> and I think because it's trash, it's so visceral. Like it just it just yeah. When you see it, like you're in hand, you just you feel like pricklies on your skin. It's like Yeah, it's like the feeling of like having to face it's having to face our own problems with consumption. And having it's like that's um, that's every American's way. worst fear is knowing how much them as an individual are like actually this. and it, actually realizing that they have an impact is like or like we have an impact is actually very I don't know it's very like it, you, it you should have a visceral bodily like, reaction yeah. to that <laughs> but right like that's design like that's art like that's yeah. that's his hand intentionally taking these trash objects and making it into art making it into a statement both both letting it be known it, it was trash and yeah. getting that identity, giving it new life. Like it's, it's such a cool dichotomy, right? Yeah. Of, of this object that he really is the point of his art, I guess, in the same, and not in the same way, like Marshall yeah, very... like, stole the urinal or took the urinal <laughs> from the street. Like it, it's a similar thing of, of taking objects that would end up in landfills and like be shitty and crappy and horrible and you know giving them new life but it's it's i think it's so much more powerful and important like this new era we've entered um and in a similar thing like areas that would have factories um and really be centers of like manufacturing and creation were abandoned like we, we've been creating huge factories right more or less since the 1850s yeah. and well, there's yeah. a shit ton of them from the beginning of industrialization yeah, industrial zones like full of different pollutants from whatever the fuck they were making that are abandoned, mm. and those are like I can think of like Detroit. Detroit is a big one that I can think of. Detroit, like, yeah, and how they yeah. just left like a lot of these factories that were used for building cars when that stopped. Like, when when they started like outsourcing Ooh, that, that hurts. That hurts like the lower income people for the most part who exactly. end up having housing in that area, and then like the toxic, literally toxic metals leach into the soil and the water, mm -hmm. and then. We were talking about this just last week it's, with it's the horrifying. water episode. Yeah, exactly. Okay. There's um, there's a community in upstate New York. Um, they are a Native American tribe, but they're like an interesting mix of African American individuals and Native American individuals. And they were next to it. There was a Ford Motor Plant right <laughs> up there, and mm -hmm. they like they like would dump the paint into like the forests, and the kids would play in the forest, and they would they would eat the paint because it was sweet. And then this community started having like a lot, they started having a lot of issues. And now like half of the people either died from cancer or have it. And like, it's this horrible, horrible story. Sorry, I don't mean to like- No, it's okay. That's just something that I just- it's, You're seeking into Colorado when there's literally yeah. a town called Leadville named after yep. all the lead from mining. <laughs> oh my God. And two Rocky Flats, which is an abandoned yep. nuclear facility 
that just was let to be abandoned and also has like it, crazy yeah. Like disclaimer before they we go on talking up, about Colorado. No, we're not I am the on one Coloradan um non in inhabitant non Coloradan yeah. individual. Um and so I will be just as shocked as most viewers by the things that happen in Colorado because well yeah, I've heard a, it's a wild ride. I have heard <laughs> many, many wild rides. <laughs> my friends are from Colorado. Colorado. You'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. Thomas, I, I, I'm not, I'm not cherry picking, but all my friends are from Colorado, so I, I have heard most of these yeah. things. But you know, it is shocking. It is legitimately no, like, shocking. I'm from the East Coast. I finally lived in Colorado example, and it's just same thing with the state of New York. It's like these massive, mm-hmm. horrifying complexes that were doing something with just bad, bad chemical shit to synthesize mm. something, or in the case of, um. In the case of whatever, blah, blah, blah. Sorry, now I lost my train of thought. It's fine. It's totally fine. The, the, like, the point is, like, Hill, Rocky Flats, they used to be forests or used to have some sort of, like, natural ecosystem or cut down for factories that then pollute mm. the system that lives there now, whether or not that's housing or uh, just, beautiful. like, the wilderness. Thank you. And <laughs> another movement all similar to like the Nary Ward and similar to like the museum. Yeah. Or like basically, so I he I got to be introduced to his art. I saw his exhibit at the new museum. And to yeah. be shown in any art museum in New York means there's a certain level of acceptance for the kind of style you're participating in or like what yeah. you're saying. And that's once again a whole other can of worms. But that is very hierarchical. A, a big a big thing has many flaws. Yeah, exactly. A big thing. Um Another big movement kind of within like the contemporary art world is the architecture of urban space and specifically mm. like the reclaiming um, yeah. these industrial zones as like beautiful parks and this weird concept of like ivy growing on old metals, like gorgeous, which I think it's really pretty. Like industrial parks are creepy and beautiful and wonderful. There's, like, yeah, there's something, the like, line, there's exactly. something eerie and like very, it's, 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 it doesn't make sense because it's natural and unnatural combined. Yeah, but it's, it's like it's, it's, no, it's work. nature taking over. It's, it's saying exactly. you tried to build like an industrial plant here, yeah. But we're still, we're still, yeah. we can but still. I'd say, I'd say the sense of like when you're looking at like these reclaimed spaces. Yes, it is nature taking over, but it's also like controlled. It's very much it's like very, yeah. humans can, yeah. like in New York oh, City, everything is controlled. So, so Nary yeah. Nary Ward, which is just a product of that argument of like consumption, and I mean that too with the factories yeah. necessary for that, you know. Like that market of overconsumption, like he he is to that relate. Like he he's like the sad part, I think. And like this new movement of planting plants that are like sustainable, right there, they're fit for the climate. They leach the toxins out of the soil. They make it into parks and wonderful spaces to be used. Um, but also, right, like very scripted, very very specifically laid out. Um, but that that's like the the good part of it, right? Like it's, yeah. it's a piece of land or something we fucked up. That is actually being reclaimed by nature, but through humankind, which yeah, I think which is, is something that has it's to a happen. Start at least, yeah, it's a start at the least, and mm. and I think it shows it shows that there's there's very little hope and light right now in this climate sustainability conversation. But I think that these these parks and this you know reclaiming of industrial zones mm. is a really powerful tool for hope. Yeah, it, it, well, it is. Yeah, 
our own ability to fix these areas and to make it into places where kids can play. You can like sunbathe. There can be, you know, one of my favorite artists, Jordan Castile, <laughs> she just painted a huge mural on the side of uh, the High Line in one of the buildings. Like it's a place for art and community and collaboration and a shared space and, you know, plants and flowers while also having the identity of being this old subway line that was, you know, I don't know, that cut through the city in this way and produced different toxins because of like the energy consumption of having it running. And yeah, exactly. I don't know. And there's something weird too about having this really like almost overgrown wild feeling path uh, in the middle of this, you know, concrete jungle. And that's also yeah. part of the whole conversation the Highline's having with the city and with sustainability too. Yeah. It's, I think it's a really, I think it's really interesting. And I, I, I think, I think even though it is like human controlled, I do have a lot of respect for like how much, how much thought went into the Highline. Like I'm just going to pick out the Highline specifically, but there was a lot of thought that went into it about like yeah. perennial plants and plants, as you said, that leach toxins out of the soil. Cause like, and like plants that are native to Colorado, I think that's a really, or it's not Colorado, sorry, New York, or like the New York area. Colorado has a lot of similar efforts too of, exactly. you know, not yeah, importing fancy that. shit that's not supposed to live there to look pretty. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Like using, using plants that take the right amount of water in the sunlight and, you know, ha have the hardiness to survive whatever zone you're living in. Mm. Which you'd be shocked at, at how that's a new conversation in the world of like architecture and garden design, but it's, it's, it's new. Yeah. Instead of just picking like the prettiest, most aesthetically pleasing plant, you can pick something that like is actually suited for all the environment. Plants are plants. An invasive all plants are plants. It's because in, yeah, because invasive, invasive species are like incredibly destructive. And like, I don't, I don't think some people sometimes don't understand the impact of like introducing a species, introducing something that doesn't belong and having it just like because it's unchecked because it there's nothing there's no checks and balances yeah, to protect it it, throw, from just it throws the individual ecosystem out of balance right i don't know if you have yeah. a specific example of that you can speak to because i don't i mean i moderately study this but i have some i have some specific examples yeah, um, well i mean there's like there's like the introduction of rabbits into like certain types of rabbits into australia there's also the um emerald ash borer i'm not sure if you've heard of that but it's like a it's like a it's I think it's specifically from China and it was introduced accidentally and it's like wiping out our ash populations. It's actually a huge problem in Colorado specifically. Hold on, wait, a problem in Colorado? No way. The larvae like literally yeah. like go into the wood and they like create these little like tunnels and they just destroy. They just destroy wait, like the the no. pine beetles? No, the emerald no, ash borers. It, they're it, it different, different but similar. Similar okay. effect, different but, type. Um, of why I was asking you for specific anecdotes too is because I think that's a really great metaphor for how we build cities and how unsustainable city building is. Because yes. right, it's like an invasive species times concrete, which is just kills life and no good. <laughs> and there's a lot of other examples too, like just the industrial hardware a city needs to have to to function till you know have roads and have factories and have stores and have housing yeah and i think there's a there's really cool movements that um 
that address this and it's specifically like in in this stem world and in the interdisciplinary stem world oh, right oh, second I'm so favorite, I'm Mary. this this nary nary oxman different uh, spelled the same way n-e-r-i uh, yes. What she does is she works in material ecology or bioarchitecture, which, which is, is so cool. We're talking about, right? Like it's the concept of turning buildings, which are like invasive species on. And the yeah. really the best thing right now, right, is like concrete. And like, I can't, no, literally concrete is like, what's even invasive but, Concrete, plastic. like cement, yeah. plastic. Metal. Plastic is a great example because plastic oh, is so... So unnatural, like it's even. I don't know. I oh feel my like it's god! More unnatural than the Barnard Fire Marshal had to have a talk with us because I had a class in Milstein, which mm-hmm. is our library, your beautiful new library that now beautiful, is beautiful, beautiful place. It's in quarantine right now. Basically, <laughs> they made the carpets out of like recycled plastics. And what this very New York fire marshal was saying, he's like, if the burning, the <laughs> the building ever burns, like you got to get out quick because like this, he's like a plastic, fucking it burns beautiful. hot and it burns fast. And <laughs> like, run for the wood, like run fucking fast. Like if this building goes up in any way, like don't inhale, like don't take a deep breath, like crawl out. Well, and we're all like, okay. But well, she, her, her lab is in charge of, at least I believe she's, one of an example of this cross disciplinary conversation, different sort of academic scientists, and they're they're trying to develop materials for sustainable architecture, like things that live and breathe and develop, yeah, exactly. and, and just things that completely challenge what we think of our norms for buildings. Yeah, we um, like okay, they play teams. a lot. They play a lot with like the concept of decay and like. That is not something that we like ever think about. Where we think about building architecture deals with yeah. like, it's like it's like long lasting. Let's make this building as long lasting as possible. But what Neri is wanting to do, and her team of like she has biologists, engineers, um, chemists, like right the life cycle too, artists, of- everything. But like she's she's talking about how can we make something that like actually is natural in in the sense that it has a life cycle. It has growth. It has decay it has recycling less energy to create and less energy to decay either right like when it decays it naturally Mm. helps out the environment it's in like it helps with the soil it it doesn't fuck shit up (laughs) yeah like how can that decay create something new out of that like how can something new come out of that decay and something new that we can use and it's wrong it's long term but thought with a short-term sense Exactly. Um, and yeah. so she uses something called chitin specifically, <laughs> which is a. Do you want to explain chitin and like the the chemistry, chemistry Bio, of it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I I had another fun little tidbit, but chitin is this. It is a carbohydrate. Mm. It is a long chain of glucose molecules, and it is very difficult to break down by mm. human bodies. Um, but it what is. So what are some examples of it that we might know? Where, you might where have heard of an, have you ever heard, I don't know, in Colorado, do you guys have cicadas? We do. No, but I know what those are. <laughs> no, we do, we do. It's a lie. Oh, yeah, it's horrible. The cicada years, they drive me nuts. Oh, oh they're they're like, the sound of cicadas. No, they're not. They're like, no, they're not. They're no, they We have bones on the inside of our bodies. They have bones on the outside of their bodies. So it's a hard exoskeleton. They shed their bones. It is the hard exoskeleton of insects. It is that's stuff true. that is made out of literally the building blocks of quote unquote. I know that's so cheesy. Life, carbon. The building blocks of life. It is made oxygen, out of carbon, oxygen, oxygen, and hydrogen. It is a 
repeated in a really strong chain. That's it's a linear. very strong it's a linear branching chain, right? So there's no there's no unbranched helical spheres in it. Unbranched chain. Unbranched chain, which is even better. If it doesn't have branch, it makes it even stronger. So you and basically, about it, it lies on top of each other in a really, really strong way that we can't break down. And it's super strong and it's super awesome. And it is made out of regular old carbon, oxygen. Isn't it alpha, alpha or uh, beta pleated sheets? Beta no, sheets. because that's proteins. Hmm, that's tertiary. That's getting secondary structure of proteins, and these are carbohydrates. But fine, fine. Idea. same idea. Very strong. You might be wondering how someone would use this to build a building. Well, because it's really strong, you can use it in a lot of ways. And Mary's uh-huh. like, Mary Oxman is playing with how to use this, and also three D print it, which is the coolest thing ever. Three D printing chitin, isn't that like, sick? That's true. I was gonna use it. I was gonna say silk as an example. And she. She most recently used chitin in, um, she was doing an exhibit for the Cooper Hewitt and she was basing it off of like, which uh, is an art museum of design. Yes. Lovely, lovely museum. Um, it's based off of like the, the whole design as a whole is supposed to look like a chrysalis of like a, like a butterfly. Um, and the structure itself, like the actual, like it's, it's made up of chitin and casein, which casein Mm -hmm. is a, a protein. Um, it's a milk protein. I don't know. I can't describe it any better than that. Abby can. <laughs> right now, same, but basically, there are these beta one four linkages. Okay, we can break down yeah. alpha linkages because the, what? Casein is very strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Both chitin and, and casein. And, and Charlotte loves casein. The best way we can explain <laughs> I can't, I can't so Charlotte loves casein it. just like she loves that yum yum. <laughs> Proteins in those yum yum loaves of bread. Mm. So, chitin mm. <laughs> and casein are both uh, very strong, mm-hmm. yet very easily broken down. They with, decay. By, by that, it's like little energy. It takes a little energy for them to create themselves and a little energy for them to destroy themselves, which is the opposite of how we think about production right now exactly. and the future of construction or anything production. Like that, yeah. Growth, right. So we're thinking about it from a design standpoint, like how much energy it takes to make it and what mm. can it be used for life. Like it can be used as like exactly. a storage container that's reusable instead of like a plastic bag. Can it be used to, you know, replace, even though now like plastic grocery bags are out of style, like they're elite, they're like out of style, thing. out of style, illegally. Out of style, style, yeah. Like can but it be used like- for that? Like different, like that's, that's part of the equation of like sustainable yeah. That's like part one yeah. and then part two, you know, is so sorry. I guess, I guess the big, the big part is like energy production costs mm. and, and if the material you're trying to make or use or whatever, will it actually do its job? Right. So a chitin casing. Exactly. Will it, will it do the same job? Will it do the same job? If not better of a job than the conventionally like conventional materials we use today like wood yeah. concrete like Plastic. stuff like that well another yeah. important point that i think that she brought up how much energy it takes to go away and how exactly. that yeah like how can we yeah exactly how can we reduce the energy okay go another ahead. really important thing that i think she brings up in this lab is yeah. you know someone comes on to the Netflix documentary episode that I watched and they were like, yeah, the only thing I really know about her is that she like had a bajillion silkworms ordered to her lab. Oh, oh my God, the silkworms. And you're like, why do you have the, a bajillion silkworms ordered to your lab? You, She did because she was trying. So when you make silk, the silkworms spin the silk and then to, to get the silk back, you basically wash 
the you boil you boil, you boil it boil and then you kill the all the bugs like the, the silk pods that the he says live i don't want to kill these bugs you these bugs are making this this protein that's where you were getting the, yeah, the beta pleated sheets from. i took honors biochem in high school and we learned about beta pleated strands which are really tight strands that are silk silk is made out of mm. that yes it's very durable it's very it's like the stretchable it is the textbook example of beta pleated sheets which, which is, is a secondary structure of it's a protein whatever amino so acids. anyway ordered those silkworms we're there we're okay <laughs> so the reason why she is ordering so many silkworms is not because she's like i'm gonna have a silk factory but she's saying i can study these silkworms i can make a ton of silk and i don't have to be killing them i can help them live their life cycle the way that na nature was supposed to be helping them and in return humans are getting so much more silk and silk like you guys were saying is made of these beta pleated sheets which basically lie on top of each other like bricks literally they are strong like brick, no, you think brick walls you think strong. strong they yeah. lie on top of each other like brick walls and the bonds between the brick walls act like cement yeah. you can't yeah, exactly. you can't stretch silk you can't break silk because they're literally held together so tightly the problem is silk is so expensive right because we kill the workers don't kill the because workers exactly we kill the workers so we like we we're basically eliminating the supply when we still have the like, weirdly have the demand. I don't know if that like analogy works very well. Yeah, unfortunately, it does. I wish it didn't. But it I know. Same. But like the whole the whole idea is that she uses she doesn't use them. She lets the silkworms like create this structure that's in like the lobby of her lab, and it's like it's like this little dome thing. It's very cute. But yeah, essentially, it's amazing. Um, I don't know if this is a good time to conclude the podcast or not. Let me know because I have a good concluding note. You can offer a concluding note. We might add some more information. But Great. Like, so here's yeah. here's my concluding note. Is so what we're saying is Neri Oxman, like why we love her and why I think she might already be married and have a family, but if she's still available, Allison Siegel once again. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. Admin <laughs> Siegel, of the not like alert. the bird. Yeah, sign into our DM. Literally, so. please. But but why why her work is so appealing and why what she's doing is so just incredible and why she's incredible <laughs> is she she understands that the interdisciplinary approach to sustainability is vital. Like keeping things stratified, keeping the like the physics people away from the design people, away from the art people, away from the chemists, and away from the biologists. Promoting creativity. Nothing. Promoting creativity, oh, but promoting creativity to, to look at production in terms of actual biological cycles and how the earth is supposed to work, like how the Holocene is supposed to function. Well, yeah, and like- and By modeling that- and The like, Holocene, for people who don't know, is the era that we're in. Yeah, the, just it's the now. way literal biosphere functions and it's like biosphere is like every ecosystem you can imagine is the earth, mm -hmm. that's the biosphere, how it all works together. Yes, believe it or not, it is all connected. Probably it's not preferred. just what your intro preferred bio textbook says. <laughs> Actually, the intro bio textbook does say it's all connected, but it <laughs> also say that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think that's a good note to end off of. It's just the idea of like modeling um, unnatural artificial human creations after how the natural world wants it to be, which is these proteins that can be broken down, which is, you know, the chitin structure, which are carbohydrates, which could be broken down, like easily made, easily durable, easily sustainable, and yet mm. also easily disposable and decayable and can be broken down and can be contribute positively to like tree growth in cities or in farm or just plant growth in general. And 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. one thing because I was going to say you earlier. You also asked me like what I want to do with my future and then I'll stop talking. And it's just like understanding different materials and the way we're like talking specifically about chitin and casein, like the mm. different applications of like what it's supposed to do or not supposed to do. And I mean, this sort of abstractly because it is what I am currently wanting to study and I don't know everything. I'm not an expert, but I imagine there's a lot more to understand about how the material structures come together to create like, you know, proteins and, you know, combination with the biology stuff and the physics and the dynamics and how things really bond or don't bond to create different structures, like what Neri Ward figured out with chitin and casein. Um, she didn't figure them out, though. She didn't figure it out, but she also did. She didn't figure it out. No, she, she, I, what I she think happened is... Okay, okay, go In a certain way. She has been working on this stuff for, for many years. True. True. It's not a surprise that chitin is really strong. It's no Actually one not like, a surprise. Yeah. Yeah, no one is right. saying yeah. I am shocked that casein is a strong protein. What she's doing mm. is she's taking a totally different approach to it. Yeah. She's saying she's, you're she's, right. Your textbook says that chitin is strong. You're not wrong. Yeah. She's but she's your textbook using, doesn't say that it can be used in this other wacky way that right. I don't even know if it can be used in this way, but I'm gonna try it because we're literally down to the last straw. We have no resources left. Like, we have to try something else. And she's throwing her passion and her heart into taking these things that we know. Because we know, we know so much. We know so much. We have, we have almost reached literally zero Kelvin to the point where molecules break apart completely and form clouds. We know how to do so, I mean, not everything. We know how to manipulate matter in a way that is, is, is it to someone like me who, you know, knows textbook science, you know, on a textbook science level, you know, seems like magic almost like, you know, I think like he is taking these things that aren't magic and saying, you just didn't think about this. We could try this and trying it, just trying it and look at what she's done. To that point, though, I think I don't. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you in that it's not new. What she she hasn't discovered anything new. She hasn't discovered a new material. She's discovered a way to look at it from a different perspective. In the sense, I see it as like in the practical sense of like she's figured out how to three D print chitin. She's figured out how to mold casein in a way to make this um, structural and like structural and functional. Yeah, but to me, it's not. No, but like she's figured out how to like. Or if there's things, it's also like her her methods of discovering and of maybe making this information accessible to the textbook scientists like myself as well yeah. is is incredible. And that that model of production in her own team, like the different yeah. you know interdisciplinary, cross disciplinary approach, that is very modelable and very incredible just an incredible precedent to set like look at these results look at this shit we've been able to produce because like we've expanded our horizons and not to mention like they are under pressure not under pressure by like their boss they're not under pressure by like at a prestigious university no not even that they're under pressure by literally mother nature mother nature doesn't have much left and you know mother nature actually she has a lot left okay she does have enough she has a lot left i don't want to i want to pretend like we can't I'd use say, it. I okay, I know, I know, I say, I say she has a lot left. I, would, I, she hasn't, no, it's okay. She has a lot left. She just doesn't, like, no, it's, it's, lot, but like, we, it's not accessible to us and it shouldn't be. Like, yes, no, it shouldn't be, exactly. 
once again to do like a cute little parallel beginning ending thing Mm. I think it's like she's meeting mother nature on mother nature's terms the way I am trying to meet myself on my own non-linear path it's a non-linear it's like you can use some but you can't think that that some you're using is indefinite or unlimited Mm. and and how that works into the whole other equation of you know production costs and decay costs and I'm gonna go pee. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're good. So wait, um, one one thing I really did want to add though is that no, no, I, did, please add. I did write a paper a few years ago. Um, it was not an art history paper, but it mm. was um very Renaissance centered. Yeah. Um, and I it, I wrote my like full like it was a like a final paper like a final research paper for a class, and I wrote how the Renaissance was started because of the uh, innovations in agriculture that allowed legumes to grow because well, legumes yeah. back into the earth they do and, it, so they, and, and legumes have a lot of well they're not a complete protein but they are almost a complete protein all you need is some <laughs> rice <laughs> and so not only were people eating more because there was more beans but they were eating more nutrients yeah and those nutrients were putting more nutrients back into the earth they were literally so, well, yeah. eating their their offspring that's the that whole way. idea of regenerative agriculture, right? And here, here we get this like massive "quote unquote" rebirth of culture, which is you know humans trying to make everything about themselves. But it was really like this: they wouldn't have been able, like you know, they got out of the dark ages, yeah, sure, through banking. But like, who's going to believe that they got out of all of the "quote unquote" dark ages because of this one person's bank? Like, that's bullshit. There were other factors adding to it. Mother other Nature. Factors. There were definitely other factors, but I think. It would be okay. It'd be quite I, difficult to have a, a rebirth of like culture with no human. I I understand what you're saying, but it's also like I think it would be. You shouldn't ignore the fact that like it did, like it, the industrialization like of the world or like the the the, the developing world as like the developed world as we are now, mm-hmm. like it really did cause a lot of like problems with like consumption. Because so the industrial like, resolu- revolution like, had not happened yet in the 1400s. Okay, but like the not whole, even the, the more you have, like th- that created like the, a want from everyone. Like the way they wanted more once they once they had more when they I had access. I disagree with you in the 1400s. Okay, fine. Which is what I was talking. About. But I but yes, today absolutely. Yeah, I, yes. But when and, and when when literally people <laughs> just like the only like I want was like basic needs like water yeah but and then like how did you get shelter? to the industrial revolution from that there is there well, is 200 there is years later they were like oh my god printing press so you're talking about like are you talking about like hunter gatherers like is that what you're no talking? i'm talking about like the 1400s like the medieval ages yes Oh yeah, 1400s agriculture. Yeah, I definitely I learned about. Okay, this is I learned about this time period. No, but I I I my case I rest my case um, because I I still I still am going strong with my case because I I I remember learning about this and I remember learning it's like the agricultural practices they established then became problematic later on. I am starting on a larger industrial scale. Rotation farming, which is Crop good for the earth, caused problems. I'm telling rotation you. farming, you're saying killing practices that were established in the 1400s still damage the soil that we have today. I'm that I'm that is my final point. 
Okay, but I disagree still. Okay. I'm saying that the if you couldn't if you couldn't rotate your crops, yeah, there would be fewer plants that could grow. I understand that, but I'm saying that like the practice of tilling and the practice of leaving crops not fallow, tilling, rotating. Yeah, but you have to till to rotate. You have to till. I mean, like no-till agriculture is something that's like. Um, I don't know what that even. Is. I don't know what till is. I kind of just said that out loud. Okay, tilling is essentially the process of like breaking up the soil to plant seeds. There's tilling is very destructive because it 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 like strips the soil of its nutrients by like. Um, so then, releasing. what's the point of it? See, no, that's what I'm saying. Like this, that got that got established during the same time that people were doing crop rotation because they they like didn't have they like were like okay that seems that makes sense break up the soil plant the seeds seeds will grow, but like that became a problem on an What's industrial the- when it when it became an industrialized process. Wait, what was your question? My question is like yeah, but tilling wasn't in. I'm not talking about tilling. I'm literally saying that like. Mother Nature is the reason that we were able to have a quote unquote renaissance. That was no, that was my point. My point was food. yeah, because of food and like because food because production. food feeds itself because food exactly. feeds itself. No, but but sometimes it doesn't though. Like some like in the sense, if you look I at still it, still think nitrogen like, cycling is important. No, of course it is very important. It's like it's crucial. Like it's, it's like it's something that's so essential to like growing plants that like you can't do it without it. But I'm saying like. Um, but like food doesn't always feed itself, especially when it's done, when agriculture is done in a way that is detrimental to the environment. That's when food does not feed itself, quote unquote. And I totally agree with you. I am only saying that in the 1400s, like they're, they, they thought it was super cool. Like I am saying that in the 1400s, when they started rotating crops and feeding more people. Yeah. Like crop rotation and leaving crops fallow was like a revolutionary idea, but and it's, it led to the also the native americans were doing it first the and native they, americans they, they i don't i still don't think that they were killing mother nature yeah but, it, but, I, but it's become a point. problem because on an industrial scale crop rotation but and an industrial scale and doesn't and exist until at least 200 years later i know but you're it's just on a different timeline and you're it's absolutely connecting it to a later timeline wait 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 are you arguing the beginning of a process was okay, but then, like, when it was magnified, it's not okay. And well, I think that, I think that you're relating crop rotation to industrialized agriculture, and that is absolutely equatable. Like, they're allowed That's to be it. brought together, but I wasn't. I just wasn't. I was line? talking about a very specific, like, event that happened. I know, but you can't. I don't. It's, just, it's difficult for me to ignore the fact that they're very like. There's just a logical. There's a just progression there that like. The reason we have problems with our agriculture today is because of the way that agriculture began. But I and don't the way that, like, because of the way that, I don't think that's the way that agriculture began. Well, I also began. don't think the way that agriculture, they weren't taking into it. It's like constitutionalism, yeah. right? Originalism in the constitution being like, what was written then is what should govern us now in 2020. Yeah. Amen. And it's like, okay, exactly so my agriculture, point. what existed then maybe was successful, but cannot at all. The second amendment. <laughs> like cannot at all help now you know what i mean like the, the part of the equation that was missing was like human population growth i believe yeah right the ability of course. in this sense of the constitution to have so many varied sort of lifestyles that demand freedom and justice and rights um, and just as much as your that, classic landowning white male just um, just as much as your classic landowning white male and the same way like we have to feed oh. more people than we've ever had to feed in the entire world's history right 
And so then that creates more plots that are plowed and the land rotation doesn't work as well because the land is still overused. Like well, the yeah, whole no, but, uh, breaks, right? And let it breathe. Let it breathe. But then when you can't let it breathe because like the mass production that you're creating and how many years you're letting it breathe or not breathe or seasons or whatever, I am, it doesn't help the land anymore. For all so the people saying, who like, can't hear me, I'm snapping. I'm snapping. By, like, by performing, like, agriculture that's, like, I don't know, like, releasing nutrients from the soil, even if you're leaving the, the field fallow, nothing's, it's not helping it. Yeah. Like, it's just, it, How, it's. Do you see a way where it could be helped? Like, this isn't something I've studied, you know, I'm but, sorry. Like, but why are they leaving no, it fallow? Like, I feel like they aren't. I feel like they're leaving it with some yeah, sort of. Two-part two inquiry. Go. <laughs> go. Environmental science, go. Okay. Yes, they're, uh, like, are you talking about, like, in the back in the day, were they leaving things fallow, or like now, are they leaving things fallow? I, what, now, let's do now. I feel like you probably okay? know now better. Let's do now. Shockingly, yes. Um, yeah. It depends on the farmer. Sometimes, yes. Um, the reason it's bad is because, like, as I was explaining to Abby, the, the whole idea of like tilling and like the way we do modern, like, um, large scale agriculture, like, it's they like break up the soil in a really like unhealthy way where it releases all the nutrients and the soil just like it becomes dry. And even if you're leaving it fallow, it's not helping because that. like that's so interesting. So long ago, so though. doesn't matter because they're not listening more or less listening to the land's needs. So they're not even letting it rest and breathe and recuperate. Is that no? What it's like it's it's letting it rest, but like in there's no way. there's no recuperation because. <laughs> Because the so nutrients have already harmful. been lost. No recuperation. It's harmful, right? The only I mean, way to the, the way to recuperate is to plant crops that will like bring, like, like the that same will, like soil leaching. Like they're going to be positively. And I absolutely agree with all of this. I'm just saying. I think crop rotation was more beneficial to the individual time, communities yes. than it was helping. Yeah, that was time, all I was yes. saying. It was a revolutionary I, idea, and it created a bunch of food that, like, that was it. Or no, that, it, like, yeah. that was it. So if I can bring in my Judaism again, I'm sorry. Once again, no, we love Judaism. Thir thirteen years of Jewish day school really gives you a lot. How many years? So thirteen of Jewish day 13. school. Five. Yes. Yes. One that is like eight a.m. to three many p.m. Hours. Many, many hours. hours. Jewish day school in Denver, Colorado. In yes, Denver, sir. Colorado, the the, so, the city of Tabor. <laughs> yes, oh my God, Tabor! Please Tabor. don't get us started on Tabor's Tabor. Tabor's in our constitution. <laughs> the Rocky Mountains. I know you're frustrated with all your friends being. No, I love it. I love it. I'm just being funny. Um. But basically, there's this concept in Judaism that you're supposed to let... Okay, so we have the Sabbath, right? Which happens on the seventh day of a week of seven days. So we have six days of work, seven, you rest. And there's also the idea of a Shemitah, which I know is a weird Hebrew word. But the Shemitah is a concept of 50 years, you let the land rest. There's certain laws that go with it too. But ev during every seventh year, uh, there's a special Hebrew word for it. And because I have not been in Jewish day school in the recent years, I don't remember anymore. It's fine. But basically, the idea is like you let the seventh year of, of your land rest. So you're not allowed to plant anything. And every Shemitah year, every 50 years also. So yeah. I, like, I think it's interesting, too. It's obviously not something... I don't really think it's even a lived practice. Maybe maybe parts of it in Israel. I, I'm not sure. But it, but it's a really interesting concept, at least, in what we're talking about, right? Like, an ancient culture prescribing laws for sustainable agriculture and, like, letting the earth breathe. Um, but it sounds like we have to, like, realign our lens and our, our conversation and perception of what it means to have sustainable, art, like, agriculture because of, like, 
the mass production. It's it's but it's but it's like following following has a lot of benefits and like it would be yeah. and that's not I'm not saying that we shouldn't leave crops fallow. I'm just saying that like that only works in, No, I don't think you are. I'm just works curious if the soil is healthy to begin with, to begin yeah. at the beginning of the period of the fallowing, quote unquote. But like and a lot of the times we strip the soil so much that like if even if you leave it fallow, it cannot recover. And it like like because of pesticides, fertilizers, all of these things, like when we put Maybe chemicals certain, into the soil, it strips even, the soil, right? Yeah, like I've I've recently gotten to having external serotonin in the form of gardening and plants. But it, <laughs> some some plants are like, do not buy dirt with fertilizer, right? Like the amount of nitrogen yeah. hurts it. Like literally, like don't do that. Like it's it's weird, not weird. It's weird if if you're coming from my end of things, which is like knowing nothing except that I want to be sustainable and I want to grow food and I'm yeah. bored. And it's a pandemic and you can't do anything but you know stay in your own house and watch your weird little sprouts grow. Um, it's a combination of all of that, but but it's even as you know the more STEM background, I guess, than maybe some people who aren't studying STEM or whatever. It's weird to me that some dirt doesn't need. Or that literally, like, it'll be detrimental to the growth of the roots and the stem to have fertilizer, which is, you know, typically nitrogen in it. I mean, um, like, it, it also, it also, I mean, it de- obviously depends on what fertilizer you're working with. Because if it's, like, if it's, like, a purely, I don't know, like, nitrogen or something. Because I don't know the exact composition of fertilizers. I'm not right. an expert. There's, there's, a lot lot of, there's a lot of different nitrogen yeah. compounds. A lot of, a lot of different shit. <laughs> So if you're using something that's like very pure and like, I don't know, is natural such an arbitrary term, but like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I use it in the sense of like something that like doesn't have synthetic like elements. Like yeah. then like, that's fine. And also like on a smaller scale with like houseplants, that's different than like on an industrial scale when like, um, <laughs> you're right. It, it's just, it's just different. And like, also, like, there are definitely things you can put. Conversation. There like, are definitely are things you can put into the soil that will benefit it. That are like not, you know, that like that's that's human, like humans putting things into the soil. But there are also like there's also a lot of benefit from, from just planting crops that will like do that themselves and having like and not monocropping, like that's really important. And having mm-hmm. like a ho- a different uh, like a community of plants that all provide different <sighs> combinations of nutrients that will su- like support each other. Yeah, and like that's that's something that like. I think it's like, I don't know. I'm really big on sustainable agriculture, regenerative agriculture. And like, that's just like the baseline of that. It's just like yeah. sharecropping. Yeah. See, and like, what's super weird is like, I'm I'm on that same mindset in terms of like what I'm interested about, what I like to study, but yeah. within cities, like I'm really curious about like how cities are going to evolve in the future and like yeah. whether or not people who are in charge of city development are going to implement more sustainable options like bringing you know more plants and more greenery and trees into the green city roofs. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Green, green, green um, roofs <laughs> composting and recycling programs that really work because and know. and promoting them because you, there's one there's a difference between saying oh we have compost sometimes and saying there are three there are three places where you put you know whatever you're disposing there is yeah. the trash there is the recycling and there is the compost. Those are but also like be, yeah. level buckets. But then because you like, where do you put your compost? Be a part of everyday life. Throw it away. 
Yeah, and it's it's just so interesting to me too because you're talking about uh, right like farmland for the most part, like non-industrialized yeah. or maybe like previously industrialized areas. Yeah. And like kind of what I'm curious too is like about like plant cropping and growth and greenery. Yeah. In the context of like already urbanized areas, mm. and like you know what I mean, like places where more people are getting to live, but there already is a big issue with lack of of nature we let into these cities to these concrete jungles and what that looks like you know what i mean <laughs> yeah um, exactly but it's cool to just just hear even i want to hear more about like what you're studying because it's i don't know i just like i don't know i like coin. I have a deep need to be a farmer <laughs> in my life yeah you really <laughs> dirt dirt dirt, dirt yes. yes. cuz i you, really do right now like Am I growing anything? No, but I am. We we have a garden. It's 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 bare at the moment because it's winter and like we're not growing anything right now. But usually we grow. We're we've been growing peppers and like all different types of spicy peppers. Um, we grow squash, zucchini, uh, cucumber, like all of those things. Um, I just have a stupid little herb garden. <laughs> Uh, in a cabinet. Um, hold up, hold up. Absolutely not. Apartment. She goes, I have a stupid little herb garden. She has the coolest fantastic. garden. She took a in a city. Literally <laughs> in a I don't care. She took a drawer. I care. She like labeled every single plant. She is you literally growing them all. She's observing Mother Nature and doing her, her, her circle of life. It is amazing. It's True. amazing. I do have about nine different seedlings, which is like the phase I think right Very exciting. Okay. It's, I don't want to really brag about it because I'm worried. I'll brag about it. Brag about it. For maturity, but okay, right now I is what is will happening. brag about it for her and then not update our listeners about their mature status. <laughs> yeah. Like it's seedlings are such an exciting stage because it's like it's above the soil and you can see it, but you're like, but it's what's so it gonna look like? Like <laughs> I just want it to live. Exactly. I want it to grow. And they're but like little babies terrifying. and like yeah. I really I I planted maybe. Let's see, each each plate has 12 cells and I planted yeah. six plates. It's fine. I'm fine. It's okay. <laughs> Everything's it's beautiful. Fine. Mental health. It's... Don't even ask about it. I'm what's, great. What's that? Um, but all of them, basically every single cell has a seedling. And I, I really didn't expect that. I read on websites. I was like, okay, the germination rate might be pretty low. Mm. Um, and they're all really small, right? Like I can't grow zucchini and squash, which are highly recommended if you have a home and an outside place to plant yeah, them because there are things that you know they need space they're huge and they're yeah. beautiful and they taste delicious mm, please grow them if you can if you have small space like me herbs are great i love tea i can't sleep so i like to pretend to think about a day when my chamomile will reach maturity and i can make chamomile tea to sleep yeah um, and like yeah. one of the there's there's small the and big ways that you can like be part of this sustainable cycle yeah and there's also like, okay, the one really cool thing about certain plants is that you can like, okay, for like an onion, for example, you can literally chop off the top, like, or the bottom and then plant it in the soil and it literally yeah. will like regrow. And, which and is, so like, you can so do that with cool. chives. You can do that easily with, and I'm going yeah, to listen to it with again, I'll say it slowly. You can do it. Yeah. So garlic, onions, potato. Yep. Um, uh, celery. Scallions. Carrots. carrots yes. choy. Yes. Were you there for Charlotte's garden last year? Any sort of squash with seeds, but once again, you need a lot of space when it starts to, you know, make a fucking Wait, wait, squash. wait. Straight up, Charlotte in her New York City, like, 
I can't even call it a New York City apartment because it's smaller than that. It's it a New York dorm. City dorm room. And she had a little pot and she filled it with some dirt that she got from like the hardware store or whatever. Good dirt. I I'm did not dirt. I did not believe that you were gonna grow anything. I fully did not believe it. You had no later, faith. <laughs> a week, I, 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 I didn't have, I, I was like, oh, like, I love that you're trying this, but like nothing is going to grow. A week later, you had potatoes. You had no, onions. I, I had, I had, I had, I had lettuce sprouts. I had like little lettuce seeds. But she actually, actually had big. food. And then we were <laughs> sent home you, before we could eat it all. Wait, but like, where did you get the lettuce sprouts? Was it just from the store and you had grown it? I like, just got I a packet of seeds. I just got a packet of seeds and I grew them from seeds. You yeah, because I'm in that period too, right? Where like each of my seeds have different needs, and it's actually yeah. terrifying. I feel like maybe I'm sorry to add more work to you guys, but even right. I could help with this. But as part of the dirt alert, which I, you know, has undertones of like local sustainability slash what oh, yeah. can do, maybe like a website or something's easy to like start growing shit on your own because it's not hard. It's not. God, hard. I would love it's to turn the dirt money. alert Instagram into like a grow your own food. It's thing. not a lot of money. It's not hard. I'm someone who likes fresh herbs. Okay, I'm a bougie bitch and I like my herbs. No, but fresh. like, and you, you can do it's, that it's, sustainably. You, you can do it. You say it, big girl. Really you can literally just and fucking grow it yourself in like a glass of water. And the you know, seeds were actually pretty cheap. It and it keeps growing. Yeah, you can, you can, um, so Wild. I'm actually trying Wild. to, I'm trying to, with my brother, like possibly rig up some sort of like aeroponic or Wait, With your brother aeroponic? Okay, mm -hmm. I'm so deep into hydroponics, it's not okay. I have a fish. We're either trying to do. I have, I have a, a plant that doesn't like nitrogen. I have a tank yeah. with too much nitrogen and I have plants with their roots in the water that love nitrogen. And the way these plants are thriving, their roots are growing way faster than I anticipated as a novice hydroponics person. And no, they're like, no, hydroponics is so cool. It's, it's so, so cool because you you grow the roots in water and it's super easy. And just for listeners or whatever, if, if you want to try this, you have to be really careful because you have to transition the water or the plant or whatever you're trying to grow roots in back yeah. into dirt. And that's a long process. Please go. It can it. be the plants can be finicky in this stage. You, you like don't want to shock yeah. it. You don't want to shock the shit out of it. You want it to live. But mm -hmm. putting putting any plant for the most part in water with some sun, letting it grow, it's marvelous. Like I said, so scallions. You it's buy kind of amazing. Water, you I use also, what, three of yeah. a pack of eight, put two in water. And they'll just be self-sustaining. Grow them. Yeah. I also think um, I'm a big proponent of aeroponics as well, which is mm -hmm. like you basically like that's okay. My brother and I are trying to rig up some sort of aeroponics or like or hydroponics system. Yep. Um, aeroponics is basically where you have your like vegetables or whatever the plant you're growing suspended, and you like mist them with like nutrients and water, and like somehow it grows really well, and it's really cool. Yeah, because uh, I. I think the whole conversation with aeroponics, hydroponics, and like plantings in soil is yeah. each plant or vegetable or herb or whatever you're trying to grow has different needs yeah. and they, they can totally work together, right? So sorry. So I have pothos specifically, your classic little pothos plant, um, which is super easy, super hard to kill. And I have that. It doesn't yeah. like the leaves can't be in the water or else it'll die. So I have that. The roots are in the water. The roots like the nitrogen. Yeah. I have a little plant that's aquatic, so the leaves need to be in water. Mm. And that's the plant that doesn't like the nitrogen, right, specifically. <gasps> and then so the roots pick that up. But the same thing with, like, aeroponics, too, where it's the roots can grow in the air when you give them the mm. certain nutrients and water they need. But they can also benefit different items. Like you're talking about, too, like growing different species next to each other. Mm -hmm. Like the whole setup of hydroponics and aeroponics and 
a quota pon- I don't know if that's true, like aquaponics, which I aquaponics, think yeah. Aquaponics and hydroponics really- are very similar. Aquaponics contain fish, I believe. Yeah, but I, I, I just love it because it's all yeah. part of like, this cycle. You can see how things are supposed to grow and how they can work together too. You're creating grow. like a mini ecosystem, a self-sustaining ecosystem. Exactly. Like, that's the goal. In, yeah. in rivers, there's plants that grow their roots in the water and there's plants mm-hmm. that grow their roots next to the water and there's plants that grow their roots near the fish. And yeah, exactly. it's really cool because you can bring that in, at least right now, right? Like I have the small New York apartment. Like I can see that happening in front of me. Uh, and and it's, it's semi-accidental, semi-on-purpose. I'm both really upset and excited that it's all working so well because now I have like an exorbitant amount of plants. And I'm like, please. Like, but it's that's I don't know it's such a little it's such a fun experiment and yeah, it's, like, it's, my, it's my external serotonin and it's totally yeah. doable like it's a totally doable DIY project like do it your fucking self yeah alrighty sorry so. now, now I'm really gonna go pee again I've said it like three times when we're recording all right friend. so sorry. we don't talk, talk about bathroom on this podcast but I'm gonna talk about both what are the takeaways? We are not live. We are are from two thirds of us are from New York. (laughs) One third is from Colorado. Two thirds are actually from Colorado. One third is not. (laughs) Yeah, that sucks. That sucks. East Coast, West Coast. But anyway, but um, not live from New York and not Saturday. 